Hi, this is Father Jonathan, and I'm so glad that you've tuned in to the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you've tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that the next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more what's going on at Grace Church, please visit us at graceocala.org. You may have already heard of it, but there is a musical that is quite popular in uh, New York right now called Hamilton. Matter of fact, it's become quite the rage in, um, on the Broadway scene. It was nominated for uh, 16, a record 16 Tony Awards. It won 11 of them. And it's about one of our nation's founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton. What's amazing about this Broadway show is that you would not think that would be a particularly interesting Broadway topic, right? And yet, it started in February of 2015, and seven months later, it was already it was off Broadway, and by seven months, it had moved on to Broadway. And now that the um, lead actor who plays Hamilton, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's also the, the, uh, the writer of the musical, he has announced that he's leaving. Tickets are now going for $10,000 each one through scalpers, if you can get one. That's how popular this Broadway musical has become. They have shows planned for Chicago, and they're going to do a national tour because, of course, if there's money to be made. So as I began to think about this, I thought it was such a curious little thing because as much as this is an interesting phenomenon with this musical, think about its subject, Alexander Hamilton. What is he known for? Well, primarily he's known for not being president, He's known for getting shot in a duel, and he's known for being on the $10 bill, and that's pretty much it. That's his legacy until you know more about him. So what has made him so popular? Now, um, if you've listened to the the music, it's gone like wildfire through my family. Um, Is it just because it's well-written, because it's fun? What else is going on here? Well, I think what's going on here is that as we uncover, as you uncover, as you listen to it, and you uncover this history of this guy that I didn't know a whole lot about, it's caused history to come alive for me in a really fresh way. And today, the day before, obviously, 4th of July, it's an important day for us to think about who we are and why we are the way we are as a country. Because, yes, it is appropriate to be proud of our country's history, but it's also helpful to think through what does God think about our country? What does God think about government? What does God think about our uh, election cycle that we're in right now? And there are ample people that you can read online or on the TV who will help you with this. There is no shortage of voices. But what I want to talk about today, and I want to do a little bit of a teaching actually, uh, is really what does God think about our government? What does he think about our country? And before you draw any conclusions about any of this, I want you to know a couple things here. What I'm really going to do is just try to do a biblical basis for what God thinks about this. But I also want you to know that there's plenty of space for you to think and draw your own conclusions as you want. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm not interested in that discussion per se. But I am interested in this idea of what does the Bible say about our government and about us as its citizens. It's critical we know. So... For a couple minutes here, I want to just think biblically about what is the exact role of government 
What are the responsibilities that government has to its people according to the Bible? And what responsibility do we have as not just citizens, but as Christian citizens? And it's to those questions that I want to offer really just four brief points. The first is this, that government is ordained by God. Second is that Christians have a responsibility to their government. The third is that God is king over all the earth. And finally, that we have an ultimate allegiance. But let's talk about that first one. Government is ordained by God. This may shock you, so hold on to yourself here. But God is pro-government. He's pro-government. These are the words from the book of Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. The government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And respect and honor to those in authority. Now, if that doesn't get you riled up in this political cycle, nothing will. (laughs) But again, the Bible is really clear in this moment. God is pro-government. Government has been ordained by him to preserve order to protect its citizens, to promote righteousness even in those who may not know what righteousness is. Now, because of the fallen nature of our planet and, of course, as us as people, God knew that we needed some kind of organization to bring order to our society, to protect us from forces either within our society or outside of our society, and promote God's very concerns for justice, goodness, beauty, compassion, and peace. Those are his concerns, and government is the way in which he wants to forward that. Now, I believe that every human being and every society actually has a God-given desire for those very virtues, except they don't always happen, do they? Our sinful tendencies corrupt God's desires, and we undermine his interests. So we need someone or something to restrain us from our foolish tendencies that hopefully incite our better qualities, help us to be the people that he knows we can be. And that something, according to Scripture, is government. So though we may not always appreciate the state trooper with his radar gun, would any of us feel safe? on the highways if there were no speed limits or no law enforcement. And maybe you resent the taxes withheld from your paychecks, but do you really believe that the majority of people would contribute to the, tom- the common good if that contribution was optional? I don't. And so we need government. <coughs> Along these lines... Several years ago, HBO had a miniseries called John Adams. If you haven't seen it, 
please look into it. It's an excellent miniseries about that founding father. Now, one thing I was struck, of when, struck, struck about when I watched that miniseries was how difficult it was to establish the government of the United States. At their first con- Constitutional Congress, there were loud, eloquent, and godly voices arguing against independence and urging this group of people to be loyal to England because it was the right thing to do. And so it took months of political debate and vigorous uh, wranglings behind the scenes just to gain the uh, will for independence. The second thing that struck me about this series, John Adams, was how the framers knew that there was this God-given stewardship that they were supposed to foster over this fledgling, fledgling nation. Now, let me be clear here. I know, and they were very clear about this as well, that they were certainly not all Christians. The founding fathers were not. But they do seem to be people who had this faith to believe that they were accountable to their creator for the welfare and prosperity of their fellow citizens, and they took that very seriously. This is why the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence are, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So though they may not have been Christians, they knew that there was a creator who wanted us to thrive and prosper. Now, there are couple qualifiers I want to give to that statement. The first is that this, that just because government is ordained by God doesn't, does not mean that God endorses every person who holds governmental office. God has granted us this freedom, this freedom to bestow authority on someone else. And those who have that authority, well, they exercise it as they see fit, don't they? And sometimes they really mess it up. But that's nothing new, is it? I mean, think about this. From the pharaohs of Egypt to the emperors of Rome to the monarchs of Europe to the dictators that we have in this modern world, rulers have constantly betrayed their God-given mandate to govern well. In a similar way, God has given citizens freedom to elect and appoint their leaders, and sometimes we don't choose all that wisely. God has ordained government, but it's not his will that, it's not always his will, the person that we pick, and we have to endure that sometimes. The second thing is that God has not ordained a particular kind of government. Sometimes I have heard Christians say that democracy is God's kind of government. And that's why the United States of America has prospered like it has. You're going to have a very difficult time finding that in Scripture because there is nothing in the Bible where God says, I really like democracy. You will not find that verse. Now, I know that we're partial to democracy. I get it. But I also know that in heaven there is no democracy. There is a dictatorship run by him, and he is uninterested in my opinions. So if you're really sold on democracy, you're not going to like heaven a ton, okay? I'm just going to tell you. So you might want to be a little fluid with your love of democracy. Now, just to show you, though, some of the flaws that we have in our own system and how that gets so messy with our faith, just this week I read that 900 evangelical Christians met with the presidential candidate Donald Trump. 
Now, when I first heard about this meeting, I was quite interested. I was very curious. What will they ask? Will they hold his feet to the fire on issues of faith and belief and consistency in those areas? And by the way, I think both candidates need to be pressed on those issues. So I'm not singling out Trump, but there was just this meeting this week. And so I was very curious what was going to happen because of this. Sadly, nothing happened. It was terrible. And I don't blame Trump for that. I blame the Christians. The ones who were present, they were mostly just tweeting or writing about how happy they were to be there. And it was pathetic. They seemed just fine and even revel in the fact with Trump's promise that we will be able to say Merry Christmas as much as we want. Look, I already say it. And no one's attacking me. So that's not the thing we should be talking about. But my point is this. As much as God is pro-government, every government comes with advantages and liabilities, and so we shouldn't baptize one over another. We should just recognize that God wants to use it to help us love each other and love Him, which leads really to my second point is this, and that is there is a responsibility that we as Christians have to the government Our Galatians reading said it this way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow uh, to your own flesh, you will reap corruption of the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. It's a very, very clear metaphor. You reap what you sow. And so, if the government is God's servant, then it only makes sense for us to cooperate with that government whenever possible, which typically means obeying the laws, typically means paying your taxes, voting in the elections, served in the armed forces when necessary, when called upon, and generally it means contributing to the well-being of our society. But of course, it's more than just keeping the rules. First Peter chapter 2 says that Christians are to cooperate with their government wherever possible, challenge their government whenever necessary, and pray for their government at all times. We should be good citizens. In fact, I'll go a step further and I'll say, we as Christians should be the best citizens, not the most critical. And if you think, well, Peter didn't really understand the kind of government we'd be living in today. He didn't know the kind of corruption we'd be enduring. Oh, You are wrong. Peter gave these very instructions to obey the government while he was living under the leader Nero in Rome. Nero was the same one who was murderous and unstable and, in fact, very often just a fool. When Rome burned to the ground, it was Nero's idea to pin the whole thing on Christians who was this pretty small sect that we would want to burn Rome to the ground. And it began this Christian persecution. And it was in that government that Peter says, obey. So, are the political attitudes that you have towards your government so positive? Are they so respectful that other people admire you for it? Now I know I'm meddling. Of course, you might say, well, what happens when our government gets off track? How should we respond then? Well, of course, there are a variety of ways. The Bible says that we can um, disagree, and we should disagree publicly, that we can protest, 
and that we can disobey. And though there is a lot to say about those three ideas, let me only note that throughout Scripture you will find ample examples of people doing all three of those, peop- those, three of those things. Righteously disagreeing, protesting, and refusing to cooperate with the authorities. So, the rule here is this. Cooperate with your government when possible. We challenge it when we believe it necessary and we pray for it all the time. It's, by the way, why we pray for it in our church service. My question to you would be, do you pray for your leaders and government on a daily basis? I don't mind even telling you personally that in this election cycle, I find myself discouraged. As much as I've talked with folks here at Grace and also folks out in the community, there is a sense of frustration with the candidates and the choice of candidates that we have been given. It seems to me that neither man nor woman that we have been presented with are what I had hoped or thought they would be. But that does not mean that we have any right to quit believing that God has a plan or that God has a word for us. Our responsibility as believers is to engage the issues morally, civilly, from a Christian worldview, from a Christian frame of mind to the best of our abilities. And we engage them with the same respect, energy, and compassion that your God has engaged you with respect, dignity, and compassion. And if you can't do that, then maybe we should be a little quieter. The third thing I want to note here very quickly about, as I wrap this up, is about, our, about governments and how God sees it, is that we should recognize from the outset that God is king over all the earth and, in fact, is no respecter of nations. Psalm 47 says that. God loves everyone everywhere. And he loves them all equally. He loves those who aren't believers in him because they are a part of his creation, just like our psalm said today. And he is concerned about every nation of the earth. From Burma to the United States, it does not matter. He loves them all, and he is king over all of them. So has God blessed the United States? Yes. Has he blessed those other countries? Absolutely. You just don't see it as much. I just don't see it in the same way. But we should rejoice with them as much as we want to rejoice in what he has done here. Finally, let's talk about our ultimate allegiance. We are ultimately aligned with Christ. And so our highest calling is to that good news and to helping other folks encounter that good news. Sure, yes, absolutely, we owe our nation loyalty, submission, and service. But we owe our lives and our love to our God. Our deepest passion, our highest calling is reserved not for our country, but for God's kingdom being built here in Ocala. God's kingdom being built in the mission trip places that we go to like Honduras and Cuba. Joining him at work in those places to see his kingdom come just like it's coming here. So tomorrow, as you celebrate the 4th of July, do so of course because of the liberty, the freedom, the justice that we have here. But also pray that freedom would break out over all of God's creation. Pray that the winds of opportunity 
for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness would not be just here, but would be in every single country. We have them not because God loves us more, but because He loves and has ordained government. We need to keep honoring that. And of course, tomorrow, pray for the people of the world that God loves so much and pray that His kingdom would come here. I believe that one day, when the ultimate kingdom of God comes, He will establish His rules in such a way The Bible tells us that pain and suffering will be no more and tears will be dried up. And until that day, we are called to serve and love here with our whole hearts and lives. Amen. We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. Our prayer is that you will take what you've heard and bring it to the Lord with the question, what would you have me do? To find out more about all the good things that are happening on our campus and how you can get involved, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our website, graceofcala.org. Go in peace.